0: Welcome to our Early Years Mental Health and Wellbeing podcast with myself, Kate Moxley, and I'm joined today by the wonderful Kerry Payne from EYFS For Me. Happy Tuesday, I think it is, Kerry? I think, yeah, it's Tuesday. It's Tuesday. <laughs> How are you feeling today? How's things with you?
1: I, I've had a pretty good week up to now. Uh, I think the sunshine always makes a difference i have um, been doing exercise which before lockdown i did not exercise and i would not hear it that i needed to do exercise because i do a lot of commuting um but i've been doing a lot of uh yoga with adrian fitness martial dancing and that's um been really nice of a morning to kind of get me juices flowing so yeah i've had a, a nice start to the week still peculiar it's never any other way is it but um yeah i feel okay how are you feeling Um, yeah,
0: I'm, I'm feeling, since I listened to that podcast, I always realize how I'm feeling is is quite, it's always a contradiction. So I'm feeling, um, like positive um, and good in myself, but I've been just experiencing a lot of anxiety and it's kind of been getting a lot worse over the last kind of seven days. Um, and I've just actually phoned the doctors to, um, speak the doctor to maybe ask for some medication because I don't take anything anymore but it's getting to the point where the pain is like oh I feel a little bit overwhelmed with it all Um, and I I could have like kicked myself because I phoned the doctor and they ask you now don't they like they want to know why you want to speak to the doctor and I said oh it's just anxiety and then I was like (laughs) and then I even said to her actually it's not just but it is anxiety because I thought I know there's lots of things going on right now, but physically this is starting to really, you know, get me down.
1: <laughs> Just moving, Kate, because um, um I can hear lots of motorbikes and cars that have decided to join in with our podcast. So um I couldn't hear them. Oh <laughs> I, they really distract me. Um yeah, that's really interesting though what you say about anxiety. How does your like how does your anxiety kind of present itself because everyone seems to experience it so differently don't they like the physical feelings
0: yeah well i think that throughout this process what i've realized is it affects me much more than i realize so everything i think or do is based on a future a future something in the future so you know something from Shall I have another glass of wine? No, because tomorrow you might feel like this and you've got to do this and you've got to do this. Um, You know, if I'm going to do, I don't know, an interview, so we're going to do an interview, what should I wear? What should I look like? What should I say? And and I think so it affects perhaps my actions and my thoughts so much more than I realised it did. Mm. And then I think what can happen is it becomes intrusive. So I'll think horrible things. I'll think, you know, not very nice things about what people think about me or certain situations happening. I can be awake in the middle of the night thinking about the most unusual things or the most ordinary things, but trying to overthink, overplan, organise, control, because then that keeps me safe. <laughs>
1: yeah. So you, are, I think we're similar in that way because I'm a fast forward worrier. So I'm always yep. worrying about what is to come. I definitely catastrophize everything. Oh,
0: yeah, I do that. Yeah
1: and I, I, I've not shared this on the, the previous podcasts, I know I've shared with you um, personally and privately, but I got um, diagnosed with ADHD last year, which is a, a diagnosis that I'd been seeking for quite a long time, but being a, a woman, um, it was always put down to um, generalised anxiety and depression, even though I, I knew that there was something else, and one of the the um, presentation of symptoms of of adhd which a lot of people don't know about is something called rejection sensitivity dysphoria and a lot of my anxiety is constantly feeling rejected by the world around me so a lot of my um fast forward anxiety is people are not going to accept me i'm on the outside of a group i've I've been left out and people are talking about me like it it almost verges on paranoia at times and and i have to remind myself that it's rooted in my brain structure it's it's within the, the way obviously my brain structure has been formed but it it triggers a lot of anxiety because when you're constantly thinking about oh, I just want to be accepted you then become a people pleaser and then you end up doing so much for others and then you completely empty your own tank so like I know a big part of my anxiety is that I say yes to everything even if I go I can't commit to that I say yes to everything because I'm like I need people to be happy with me I don't know if you I don't know if we've spoken about that before actually no do you know
0: what I absolutely relate to everything you're saying there because and how you describe that as um rejection I've understood it as for me injustice so Mm -hmm. I always I get a lot of the time um you know We've spoken for about being you know empathetic so I think yes I'm, I'm empathetic I'm a sensitive person and I've, I've always viewed it as that injustice if I think things aren't fair or etc but I feel exactly the same kind of thing as you kind of the way you describe that uh, fear of rejection not feeling good enough mm-hmm. and interestingly and this I think this is so fascinating because we hadn't planned to talk about any of this had we um Last year I was diagnosed with dyslexia and it wasn't something that was ever raised to me until I was in my early thirties doing my um, BA honours and my foundation degree. But when, it, after it was said to me, it made a lot of sense. Mm. But the reason that I mention that is that those beliefs of not being good enough, clever enough, articulate enough that I belong, that a lot of that comes back to that, I suppose, what happened throughout my childhood and actually not like short-term memory loss and like just all retaining information, processing information, all of the things have made up, I suppose, who I am. And I spent, I've spent so far like, you know, 30 odd years of my life not knowing or understanding that about myself
1: you know what's so interesting about that though and I think you know thinking from a a female perspective because when I got my diagnosis when I was speaking to the psychiatrist and I don't know if you had kind of similar conversations but like my psychiatrist because I was like everything now suddenly makes sense. And I've reached 35 years of age or 34 at the time. I've reached 34 years of age and suddenly all the things that I've suffered as a result, like people judging me, people saying that I'm forgetful, that I'm unreliable, that I've, I'm a foghorn, <laughs> you know, all those yep. things. So some of those were associated to something greater than that. And what my psychiatrist said is for for women in particular, we spend such a significant period of our lives compensating for um, symptoms that had they've been identified sooner we would have been able to identify suitable strategies and coping mechanisms and you do have that little bit of a moment or i certainly had that moment where i was like god i've worked bloody hard to mask this to to hide all these faults that I beat myself up for. And it actually is physically, like with dyslexia as well, they are physical structures within the brain that are, are atypical or different from normally developing people um, or what we assume is normal. And it just, re- like, it made me feel really sad because I thought, you know, you go, I feel really sorry for myself that nobody's understood that I really do try hard <laughs> because I am so, I'm, I'm so ADHD. It's, it's quite insignificant.
0: But actually, it takes me back to some of the dis- discussions I used to previously have with my husband and daughter. So after the Unity tutor mentioned it to me, I spent then a long time saying, "Oh well, that might possibly be because I'm dyslexic," and they would say, "Kate, you're absolutely like, mom, don't be stupid. You're not dyslexic, you know whatsoever. Because maybe I don't present in what." we perhaps and previously understood of what dyslexic might be. But I said, they're not, and they say, I had lots of conversations about using it as an excuse. And I'm like, no, it's not an excuse. It is a reason. And I'm trying to make sense to you why sometimes then I might become frustrated or overly anxious or um, might react in different ways. And I think it, it's absolutely fascinating. And kind of picking up on kind of something how she said there about um, you know, how we've gone through our life. I'm a middle child, so I've made sense of stuff. Are you a middle child as well? Yeah. (laughs) I'm a people pleaser by nature. I have had this terrible affliction since I was three years old. And so, you know, I definitely go around. When I introduce myself, when I do the training, I say, you know, I am a middle child, I have
1: middle child syndrome. Isn't it a real thing? oh absolutely utterly totally a thing uh, yeah it's 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 a very difficult position to take up in a family dynamic um so yeah but i've never thought to share that very interesting and telling feature of myself because it might help people to understand me more um, because i definitely have middle child um issues i would say
0: but i think like you were just saying when you're making sense of your lived experience and your life so far and everything that's kind of shaped who we are for me was when I experienced depression, anxiety, then looking back on, you know, people want to know, and we've said this before, like, why is this happening to you? And it's not, why is this happening? It's what has been going on for you. And actually, mm-hmm. if I look back through my life, you know, that role in my family, which I kind of had, um, and that kind of middle child syndrome, it goes back to self-esteem, lack of like self-confidence. Um, and so, to kind of make myself feel good without realising that I was doing this, I spent my whole life people pleasing, saying yes to people, um, you know, doing whatever I could to make people feel comfortable, even if it meant that I didn't feel comfortable myself, jumping through hoops for other people. And then eventually that led to so much resentment. And I harboured so much resentment, not only personally in relationships, but professionally in relationships, Mm -hmm. because the dynamic existed where I just, gave and gave and gave and gave but lots of times people never asked this from me so why should they be grateful for
1: all of these things that I did when it was my it was my need yeah my husband moans at me about this all the time because I will do stuff for people and I often go much over and above to kind of be like right now you'll accept me and then the minute I perceive it as not that as the person not being grateful or the person not recognizing or acknowledging or validating me i then get an actual really bad hatred bit. like how <laughs> dare you treat me with such disrespect like he always calls me the um the cookie, um, what is it? The fox's biscuit, mafia panda. Because I suddenly get very like, how dare you disrespect that I have done all this, but the person never actually asked me to provide yeah. that level, um, and I've had to really take ownership over that over the last few years, um, which which is hard to do. But the the thing you said earlier on about fairness as well, because that must be middle child related, yeah. because if something is not fair oh my, it can spiral me into very, very um, deep depression, anxiety and anger. And it, like doing the consultancy role, I know we've talked about some of the challenges that we find with that, but I constantly, it's not fair. Why is that person being asked and I haven't? Because I have things to add. It's not fair. Where's the where's the fairness? And it's not the world we live in, unfortunately, but it's it's hard to manage, isn't it?
0: It is because I think what happens then is if you have, an, like unknowingly, built up your kind of self-esteem and and sense of self-worth by needing validation from other people then that that seeps into every part of your life without you realizing so you are looking for that validation from that praise almost from another person and if you do something and they don't respond in a way then you start reading into all types of different situations and you do it in
1: all aspects of your life and it's so unhealthy isn't it yeah and i think like a big problem you know and and kind of to relate this to the early years workforce because i think that this is something we do see in early years practitioners and, and educators they give so much of themselves and it's being able to speak your truth as well i know we had a little chat about this yesterday but if you're the type of person that always wants to please what tends to happen is that when you finally get the bravery or courage to to speak your truth or to speak out it's just completely like wafted away is then how dare you you almost kind of create your own conformity don't you and then when you step out of line you get punished by the person or judged by the person and then you beat yourself up for so long and it's 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 a really difficult existence i think and i have my therapist um identified that i tend to dislike people who show that bravery not because i genuinely dislike them it's that almost envy that I can't channel that myself so I almost project of like oh it's look at that aggressive person being passionate about the early years and it's actually rooted in an envy that I can't channel that passion myself Um, and have to be really mindful of it um yeah (laughs) so it's really interesting because I think a lot of the
0: work I do with settings and teams is around that kind of team building but also that sense of self so Mm -hmm. you know from the work I've done and I'm sure you would agree I sense and see that a lot of our sector does have a a lack of self-worth sometimes and I see that you know, practitioners are able to really confidently articulate things that they're good at, their skills, their strengths, their talents. And I think, you know, we're doing a lot at the moment about, you know, we're trying to empower ourselves to, you know, come together as a team and connect. But to do that, we've got to be able to recognise what our talents are, so we can value our place in the team, Um, that kind of wider sense. But it brings me back to that you know, we're not very good at being confident in this country in terms of owning stuff we're good at. And being like, yeah. So, like, I could have introduced a podcaster like, hi, yeah, I'm Kate Moxley. And, um, you know, for the last three years, I've ex-slept and breathed, um, you know, being a mental health uh, first aider and a trainer. And it's kind of my passion. And I feel really confident in this subject. I'm really, you know, passionate and, you know, about... I don't know empowering of the people, and I could have introduced you as you know your you know the work that you do, which I'm always kind of you know just advocating and and, and talking about envy. I look at your work and I and I, I tell you this, I'm like, oh, it's such a good idea.
1: It's, where, how does she know all this stuff? She keeps posting all these different things. <laughs> Do you know what though that's again that is um so a lot of the work that i do in SEN and inclusion is about um shifting the narrative and the perceptions that we have of children with SEND, particularly those that have, have um, been given a diagnosis and I, I do a lot of work out in in practice around changing labels that we have for people and so you know with adhd for example people always think of hyperactivity and not sitting still we always think of the negative or, or what we nice. perceive as negative and actually when i look at my presentation of, of adhd i'm extremely creative i come up with ideas at the speed of light like i shock myself sometimes like somebody will say something i'll be like i'll do this i'll do this the problem with having adhd is that it's not that I don't have attention. It's that I don't have consistent attention. So what people often see from me is um, brainwaves. So you'll see suddenly I'll upload something. I usually have only decided to do that an hour before because I've had a brainwave. If I have to do anything that requires planning and real thought, it, it give me a it give, it give me a project to do over a week. It won't get done give me a spark to get an idea from, and I'll design something within the hour. And so I think I look well put together, but I'm just putting it out there, I'm not. <laughs> Some of the things that you are envious of literally happen within moments, and then, and then I will have a week of total procrastination and not being able to focus on a thing. So I think sometimes we, and again, social media is a, is a curated platform, isn't it? We can look mm. and appear so together. But the amount of conversations we have behind the scenes of, can yeah. I just speak to you about this major insecurity that I've got? And then you yeah. come to your stories and you're like, hey, everyone, let's talk about play pedagogy. <laughs> and it, I, think, um, I think that's what educators in the early years need to realise, that nobody is really put together. We're all, we're all a mess. Humanity is a mess, isn't it? I, that is the joy I, of it.
0: Absolutely. I I really try to represent that, I think, especially during lockdown, because, you know, um, sometimes when I'm delivering courses and everything, I mean, this is going out as a podcast now, but my hair looks like I've been electrocuted, I've got no makeup on today. um, And, you know, but when I come on to do my professional work, Um, I I have a mask that I put out to the world actually I spend 90% of my time looking like I've been electrocuted because I haven't done a thing to my hair not wearing any makeup and wearing a pair of leggings with holes in Um, and so I've tried to share that with people too that you know because sometimes social media is people's highlight reels and we we can't help it at the moment in our lowest moments look at how put together someone appears to be in whatever shape or form that is but um kind of going back to the confidence thing, I don't know if you saw the earlier TV with um, Kathy Brody, obviously, Mm -hmm. and um, Sharni, I'm not sure how I pronounce her last name, Will Chansky, I'm going to say, but I got special permission from Kathy Brody from earlier TV to share that as part of the Mental Health Awareness Week platforms. But what I absolutely loved about that was when she talked about confidence because i can remember someone coming along to one of my trainings and at the end they said you're really confident aren't you and Mm -hmm. i took it as you're a bit of a johnny big potato aren't you you're a bit of a show-off you're a bit too big for your boots you know too much it was like a stab in the heart but what channy says is when I see someone who's confident in what they're doing, I think, what has that person been through? What tricky things, what have they navigated? What have they gone through? What, how many times have they failed and got back up? And that is the confidence we're seeing. And I was like, oh my goodness, I just loved that.
1: Yeah, that is, I have never, ever applied that narrative to it at all. Because that is such a true point, isn't it? Like it's, you know, the way we talk about when men go grey and they get their wisdom It's almost like confidence is your—it's your wisdom, isn't it? Like you get to a point because if I think about myself as an educator and a practitioner, in my I think I started early, early years work around twenty-one. Um, I had no confidence Um, I was very kind of wobbly and all over the place and I find it funny I think I've said this in a previous podcast of you actually that I know some of my previous work colleagues question me being a consultant and are like we saw you in the baby room you were <laughs> slacking off all the time and misbehaving I was like I was but that's actually okay because obviously your progression is a journey Um, but I had no confidence and no confidence led to me being um, and not having a wealth of experience actually in the early years and I'm now thinking of some of the things I have gone through in my career that have added to that and, and some actual real adverse experiences so that's a brilliant way of looking at it I really I'm gonna I'm gonna add that to my toolbox
0: yeah I just loved it I just loved how she described it and because she's American there's so much passion there's yeah. so much confidence and we're so English and like oh gosh she she seems to know what she's talking about for in a, in a little while it's daunting and then you hear us talking these things and it's like a light bulb moment ping 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 over and over again so um do so, yeah. um,
1: that's, um do you think that's affected by us being in a, a predominantly female workforce again no because I do feel like I've become definitely more feminist as I've gotten older. And often I think that if we see a confident woman, so coming back to that projection that I sometimes have, if I see a confident woman, I think I do fall into that bias of, mm, who does that person think they are? And it's, it's like an almost an unconscious bias of, like why are you acting like Johnny Big Potatoes, like get back get back in your place. Like and you sometimes have to go, Wow, that, that is deep rooted to think in that way, rather than actually welcoming that confidence from women because I it, it is something, and, and I do have spoken about it before, I do see a difference in the way men and women in the early years are treated. And I don't think women with confidence are treated as as well. That's my own personal opinion, but I, I do feel that it's it's not as welcomed as if a man comes along and it's suddenly like, oh, well, we almost listen because he commands the room and he has the knowledge. But a women, a woman like yourself going in and having that confidence is almost not I could be totally wrong, but that's and again, it could be my bias, but it's how I feel sometimes.
0: No, it's it's really fascinating because what I talk about is we reinforce negative gender stereotypes of, of ourselves as women all of the time. And we we judge and compare ourselves, we belittle, we contrast, and we compare and you know, and and we, we do it in this female dominated workforce. And we've talked before about you know, bitchy toxic cultures etc within the early years and actually you know I refuse to accept that narrative I refuse to have that as part of my my practice and I think that you know just by having these conversations um you know and even experiencing this kind of pandemic that we're in at the moment it's allowing us all to think about things in different ways how we want to take care of ourselves where we want to work what 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 we want it to feel like, the team and the people that we work with. So I think we have to unpick some of these things though, we?
1: Yeah, and I remember you saying about Bituate Forces, I think about a year and a half ago. I think we were having a conversation and you said, you know, I refuse to use it in me in my terminology because it actually perpetuates something that we as women have to fight and battle against all the time. And I, at the time was like, do you know what? She's totally right. And I think that that had a major impact on my practice actually and, and how I view, like it almost feels like I've, I, because I've refused to acknowledge it as something that that is wavy of, of kind of cultivating and adding to, I, I see less of it. Cause I'm like, actually, we're not bitchy, we're, we're passionate, and the, and working in any team where you're combining your personal and your professional, and you're looking after children, we're all going to have those days where we speak out, where we get annoyed by each other, that's not bitchy, that is a, an emotional experience, that's a, an emotional expression of how difficult the early years is, so yeah, I think that that's a really good point that you've made about, about bitchy workforces, um, yeah. How, how I kind of
0: think about it is that chances are, if you're working with children and working in the early years sector, that you are a sensitive person, that you've got a lot of empathy, and because I'm from a generation where we should be, we were told to be seen and not heard, speak and less spoken to. We weren't raised with a lot of emotional literacy. We weren't encouraged to understand, express process regulate our emotions and feelings so imagine putting a group of women in a workplace where usually um you know I was going to say in the olden days, but you know, when I left school at sixteen, I worked in a shop. It was a shop converted front building. You know, worked in what would have been you know old bedrooms where we looked after children in close proximity in a baby room. You know, and put a group of women in a building who've never really ever been taught to think about their emotions, their emotional intelligence, etc. Of course, you're going to have fireworks. Of course, you're going to take people the wrong way. And I hope that as we see this kind of rising awareness. around mental health and our emotional well-being you know how now we're empowering and leading and raising a generation of young children to be emotionally t- intelligent and literate I hope that we start to take that on board ourselves as well
1: yeah I think that's a really important point and you know I, like I, I'm not going to say I'm um not kind of partial to a little bit of moaning and bitching because I definitely am as men and women they all do it but I remember speaking to somebody and they were saying people who bitch and we all do it It's you know it's something that does happen across the world it's not even sector specific but you're more often talking about your own insecurities than the actual person in question and right. um, so I often will say now because i you know i'll have that moment where i'll be like right i'm going to voice note Kate to moan about someone and i'll usually <laughs> always start with i'm about to moan it's probably because i'm jealous of the person that i'm having this moan because i've realized most of the time when i dislike people it is because i'm jealous of them <laughs> so i'm like it, it's that you know i'll look at them and it's rooted in i want to be like you so and and that's the thing when people say mean things about other people it's it's having kindness and empathy for that person that oh, what what does that reveal about their own insecurities and um yeah i just i think we've just got to kind of have a dash of kindness with that haven't we and kind of go do you know it's not indicative that the person's bad um or faulty or toxic i don't have we had that conversation about the word toxic
0: we've had so many conversations i'm not sure what's been recorded what's private what's not but i love that whole dash of kindness We need we need lots of dashes of kindness at the moment. And I think it's the little things that we're all really realizing at the moment that um, all the little things that don't cost anything that are really just your time, your words, your presence, how you can be still showing up and supporting people kind of during this time. So um, as always a fascinating conversation and what we had really planned to talk about today was, you know, practitioners and we touched on it slightly you know the practitioners we were when we were younger in comparison to where we are now and sometimes we expect ourselves from other people and I thought that would be a really interesting conversation, especially as we go back now to work in in teams, when we're going to be expecting so much more from each other through this worrying time. So, I'll plan that for our next podcast. We'll give people a sneak preview of that is what we're going to talk about next time. So, yes. um, thank you so much, Kerry, as always, for chatting with me. It's been wonderful. Thank Thanks Bye. a lot.